Hey everyone, I'm Alan, and you're listening to a brand new episode of The Ear. About two weeks ago, I was grabbing lunch with a few friends at John Jay when I overheard a conversation that really piqued my interest. There were two people sitting at a table, eating and chatting, and one of them mentioned that John Jay's chicken has pretty much always retained the same flavor profile and texture, no matter the seasoning, no matter the style. And I know it's just chicken, but it did get me thinking. In the past several years, how has the food at Columbia's dining halls changed? And by extension, how has the Columbia dining experience itself changed? To get to the core of the issue, we first need to go beyond the most prominent changes from the past several months, like JJ's Place's revised hours and the opening of the Faculty House Dining Hall. We're also going to have to go back a few years, and maybe even a few decades. So stick around, because unlike John Jay's Chicken, this episode is about to get real spicy. The first stop on our historical examination is Columbia's largest dining hall, John Jay. Replete with its own architecturally ornate dining room and a plethora of self-search stations, John Jay has always been a central feature of the Columbia dining experience. Yet way back in the 1930s, John Jay was completely different. Picture this. You wake up on a sunny yet slightly breezy morning and decide to head down to John Jay for breakfast. When you arrive, you aren't greeted by the buffet stations that we all know so well today, but instead by an envoy of student waiters who decorously bring out plates of food to students. Then, during John Jay's off hours, you might spot a social event taking place in the dining hall itself, ranging from dances and interfraternity balls, to football tribute dinners, engineering formals, and coffee hours. This pretty much remained the case for the next several decades. When the student body had a complaint about the dining halls, it was never about a lack of cultural inclusivity or vegetarian and gluten-free options. Alongside more minute questions about the dining hall's offerings, complaints would actually target the operations of the dining halls. As an April 30th, 1964 article from The Spectator elaborates, Although the investigation dealt with some seemingly minor matters, the failure of the food services to serve squash, the small size of the tomato salads, it found that behind these problems are major questions affecting the entire dining hall's operation. A major concern of the committee is the factor of employee incompetence. Back then, Concerns about the dining halls were significant enough to prompt the Columbia University Student Council to form an entire committee on the matter, resulting in a comprehensive 15-page report. But in the following years, the emphasis shifted from operations to food offerings. As the student body slowly but surely grew more diverse, so did the menus of the dining halls. In 2006, after students voiced demands for menus geared towards different diets, John Jay began offering halal alternatives for Muslim students who observed traditional dietary restrictions, like the exclusion of pork-based products and the consumption of only halal meat. As featured in a Spectator article from 2006, Muslim Student Association President Omar Siddiqui, Columbia College 09, said, I worked in John Jay, and the people who were in charge of these decisions were my bosses. I said it would be very convenient if you were able to have this food at John Jay, and they were very receptive of the idea. The John Jay Halal menu then went on to include dishes like roast lamb, teriyaki fish, roasted lemon chicken with fine herbs, and beef sausage, allowing for dietarily inclusive and satisfying entree alternatives. A few steps below John Jay is its fast food late night alter ego, JJ's Place. (laughs) 
Nowadays, we know it as the go-to spot for getting our fix of that greasy junk food that both clogs our arteries and brings us so much joy. But in the years immediately after its conception in 1939, what we nowadays refer to as JJ's was actually called the Lion's Den, or as it was more commonly known, the John Jay Pub. In its decades-long run, the John Jay Pub offered students their fix of fast food, camaraderie, and most importantly, cheap beer. In fact, the beer served at the John Jay Pub was so much cheaper and more physically accessible than the beer served in nearby clubs and bars that it actually became the prime spot for pre-gaming on campus. However, in 1985, when the legal drinking age rose from 18 to 21, the pub lost much of its appeal and soon closed. But even in the short span of the 14 years since its opening, JJ's has gone through its fair share of changes. For example, you know that station off to the side where you can find granola, yogurt, vegetables, and salad fix-ins? Well, those options all came as the result of a push in 2010 made by students to include healthier snacks and alternatives. Similarly, the Ferris Booth Commons went through a very comparable sort of renaissance. In 2002, after losing a lot of its customer base, Ferris began making great efforts to revamp its reputation by bringing some cultural variety to its cuisines, most notably in its introduction of a semi-regular Asian-themed dinner. By offering options like shomai, California rolls, dumplings, LA short ribs, lo mein, fried rice, bulgogi, and bibimbap, Ferris began to gain favor among students. As one student so optimistically noted at the time, The food is all right. It could be warmer, but it's a good way to get away from John Jay. Similarly, as another student summarized it, It's nothing to write home about, but it does the trick. It seems that changes to Columbia's dining halls have been historically influenced by student opinion, leading to increased satisfaction among the student population. Yet what happens when student opinion drives the dining experience in the wrong direction? Most notably is the now bygone Wien Dining Hall. Before the 90s, Wien offered a traditional dining experience, as seen in John Jay and Ferris nowadays. Yet, as Carrie Fitzgerald, senior buyer for Columbia Dining Services, noted in a Columbia University Record article from 1994, We needed a new idea to enhance dining options on campus. We wanted students to see something completely different. We recognized that Wien was a great space to kick off a new concept. These changes are student-driven. We surveyed hundreds of students, and the overwhelming majority wanted fast food. The result was a dining hall solely composed of express stations, offering foods like sodas, coffee, pastries, ice cream cones, floats, and miscellaneous items from fast food chains like Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and Dunkin' Donuts. Yet in the years to follow, students became unsatisfied with this setup, citing that the sole offering of unhealthy fast food options wasn't beneficial to students. In the end, this trend toward healthier food options led to the depopularization of the wean dining experience. Ultimately, Many aspects of Columbia Dining have undergone many changes in the past several years. Well, except for John Jay's Chicken. But when it comes to issues like sustainability, affordability, and accessibility, there's still room for improvement. Currently, Columbia is ranked sixth on the Association for the Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education's Sustainable Campus Index, ranking third among U.S. universities. But our community continues to deal with high levels of food waste. Furthermore, Columbia Dining still needs to make the dining halls more accessible and user-friendly to students with disabilities, and revised dining hours make it extremely difficult for some students to find food in the later hours of the night. But if there's anything to take away from today's episode, it's that many of the changes to Columbia Dining have occurred due in large part to the demands of the student body and to the campus community's calls for change. It may not be much, but moving forward, these reflections on the history of our dining halls certainly offer us some food for thought. And that's all for today, folks. 
Thanks so much for joining me on today's podcast. Make sure to check out our other episodes. You can find more episodes of The Ear on The Spectator's website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Spectator Podcasts. 